It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I am absolutely dripping in women. They love an accurately called square. Welcome to Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast. We're very much like North Macedonia. We delight in the pain and suffering of our betters. I am here with two of the world's most celebrated mothers. Still sewing name tags into your clothing well into your 20s, it's Doreen Baxter. Hello. <laughs> causing an almighty scene in the MS calf. It's Pamela Napton. Ooh, Pamela. And with you as always, I'm green, I'm enormous, I'm metaphysically ultimate, I am Mother Nature. <laughs> Why yes, do you get both. to be Mother Nature and I'm Pamela? Don't worry about it. <laughs> I can't believe you've claimed Mother Nature. You're claiming to be some sort of alter god. We would like to wish all the football mums out there a very joyful Mothering Sunday. Um, keep going to football and being mums. Yeah. I didn't have anything to say. I just wanted to interrupt Daz. That's fine. Um, I did actually hear on Twitter that MILFs was trending earlier. Oh, dear. Well, I mean, if we sort of generously assume that the L and F are loves football, then, you know, maybe it, it was a... Mother, I love football. <laughs> Mother, I love football. <laughs> it's a very West Country <laughs> That's a very wholesome message there, Tom. I'm, I'm okay. sure that all, all the mums out there listening, whether you're a MILF or not, will enjoy that message. Um, trending in the UK currently is RIP Tom. Ooh. Ooh. So uh, <laughs> don't want to see that, really. Maybe leave that for now. Give yourself some light reading later on. 
Well, we, 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 I don't know if the Foo Fighters were particularly into football or soccer, as they'd probably call it, but, you know, we could maybe end with a Foo Fighters song. I don't know. We'll have a little sing. Well, yeah, there's one less of them likely to sue us now, I guess, if we use their music illegally. <laughs> yeah, it's probably less wholesome than the mill thing. Maybe we should stop trying to give nice messages out. We always yeah, flip them on the head somewhere and make, make them twisted and poisonous. That's what we do. That's why we're covering football's strangest stories in the way we are. Find the football. Bitter and twisted little men. Shall we jump straight back in? Because we've been on a bit of a roll recently with these stories. We've found probably five or six on the trot that haven't been uneventful and boring. Put it, put it nicely. Wardy, if you're listening. Wardy, if you are listening to this... And... This one, you will be glad to know, doesn't give the ending away with the title. It is called Introducing the Eight Square Game. Which I know so I know something about this. I know something about this. What? Well, um, well, it might be one of those sort of urban myths or one of these things that's just sort of become like a Twitter fact that journalists and, you know, football nerds say. But is it to do with Route 1? No. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Shut up, Baxter. <laughs> Route 1. No, it's not. It's about broadcasting. So, without further ado, let's head to January 1927 in London. Broadcasting was in its infancy. The idea of putting a soccer match on the BBC and relaying news through the wireless system throughout Britain was original, exciting and challenging. Wardy definitely still calls the radio the wireless. Mm. My grandma did that, bless her. Yeah, he probably still believes that radio is original, exciting and challenging too. Definitely, definitely, definitely doesn't believe in putting the clock forward. Mm. Well, actually, yeah, because that was last night, wasn't it? It was quite nice getting in my car and the time is now right again. <laughs> yeah, it's just wrong for six months and that's the end of it. It is, yeah, it is. Oh, what are you part. doing? Don't worry about it. Yeah. Obviously, the listeners won't be able to see what Tom's currently doing, but his either his camera or himself have managed to just flip 180 degrees. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> the game chosen for the experiment of broadcasting was Arsenal against Sheffield United, two teams in the middle of Division One. If you're going to start something new, like radio commentary on a football match there's no better place to start than a mid-table battle is there well imagine if it was the title decider and they started you know hitting about with the format and things you know people might be upset oh yeah i hadn't really thought of it from that point of view i was more thinking why not pick a more interesting match so that people might actually tune in but yeah i guess from your point of view if it goes wrong, is anyone going to care? 
much like the premise of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Was it Arsenal and Sheffield United that had that famous? Did they replay the game? Oh, didn't Arsenal? Because of all. Didn't of Arsenal? Yeah, didn't Arsenal score when Sheffield United gave kicked the ball out of play or something? And so they Sheffield United got into a big mood about it and sulked. That might be wrong. I don't know. Just googled Arsenal Sheffield United violence game. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it's called the Battle of Bramall Lane. When did it happen? Actually, it was it was Sheffield United versus West Bromwich. Apparently. Uh, oh. oh, I remember that one. Yeah, Christ. But there might have been another one. I don't know. That was pretty. Horrendous. The match was abandoned after eighty-two minutes. We might even we might even come to it in the book. Three three Sheffield United players sent off, but yeah, I went ruin it. Nice. But anyway, back to nineteen twenty-seven. That week, the Radio Times carried a front-page plan of the Highbury pitch, dividing it into eight equal sections. So, I think what's happened is they wanted to have a way of describing whereabouts the action was taking place. So, they drew a little diagram with eight squares on and then I'm guessing the commentator would say the guy is in square four. Bit like a, I don't know if you guys had this or if it's just the like West Country thing. Um, but like carnivals, they had like they made like big grids on the field and like made walls out of hay, hay bales, and they just like stuck a cow in there, and you all brought a square that was numbered, <laughs> and then wherever the cow shot, that would be the that would be the way. It's like bingo. You you really don't need to ask if that was just a West Country thing, do you? Yeah, I guess not. Of course it was. <laughs> what was it called? Down stone. Chow dung bingo. <laughs> yeah, sure. I Battle really had a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. Low numbers one to four indicated a team's own half of the field. High numbers five to eight that it had possession in the opposition half. Odd numbers referred to the left side of the team. Even numbers meant the right. Well, this sounds like it'd be quite useful for you, Tom, actually. Yeah. yeah. Assuming that anyone looked at my grid before the game started. Sometimes when a game starts, I do tweet glass are um, shooting towards the clubhouse or car park as if someone couldn't work that out for themselves. And picture it. I don't know why I do that. I have realised what my mistake was when I said it was Route 1. I didn't mean that. I was getting two stories mixed up. I think it's probably the origin of the uh, the saying, back to square one. Right. Oh, so that makes more sense, yeah. That makes more I, sense. I think I was smashing together two stories. Well, that's all right. We don't mind that. A bit of a story remix is always nice, isn't it? So, what was going on? The sections were called squares. Here we go. But Wardy's going to correct us now. No. But, but if they were genuine squares, Highbury must have had a different shaped pitch that day. <laughs> you always have to have a go. find that these are oblongs. 
I just like the idea of someone sat at home listening to the radio, furious that he's describing them as squares. <laughs> I think that's exactly what people nowadays would definitely do. People probably had a bit more of a life back then. Two commentators were used. Mr. Wakelam described the match. Oh, my God. And then in the background, Mr. Lewis was calling out the square numbers. <laughs> Just shouting numbers in the background. I know that this was like a pilot one and it was like the first broadcast, but surely they could have done better than this. Well, yeah, you'd be saying Smith takes it into area four of the pitch as he moves forward into possession. You wouldn't just be like, so here's Craig Smith on the left. Four! (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not the way to do it, is it? Commentator could just say he's coming in from square six and why do you need to know specifically what square of the pitch the person's in? Just say he's like running down the wing. That's that's exactly what I was thinking when I first heard about this. I'd be more I confused. I know the lexicon wasn't there, but like saying he's bearing down on goal means more than he's coming into sticks. <laughs> yeah, I'd be more confused. You'd basically have to sit with that little Radio Times front page. Pla- yeah. Maybe it was maybe it was just an advertising ploy to get everyone to buy the Radio Times this week. It's a plot by Big Squares. Yeah. <laughs> my big square. I like that. That's a good play. This informed the audience who had the ball and exactly where play was occurring. They could that's, sit. That's so stupid. They could sit with the Radio Times plan in front of them and follow the verbal action. Yeah, I know we joke, and I know we're here to poke fun at stuff, but I suppose. On a sort of very simplistic level, it's not the worst idea if you're just thinking just audio commentary so people can get a picture in their heads. I mean, it is a bit stupid. Like, how hard is it to visualise a rectangle (laughs) with two things that you want to get the ball to? It's not like you're not describing a game of table ice hockey. The first thing that came to mind was, um, is it MC Escher with those stairs that all go in all different directions? If you're trying to describe oh, yeah. that, that to someone, then yeah, I can see why you need, you know, a diagram. It's, like, yeah. it's, it's so primitive, though. Like, did you ever, you know, there's Pong, you know, Pong, right? Mm-hmm. So there were tons and tons of Pong consoles. There was like 20 or so of them. And like, they were just different variations of Pong. And sometimes you could move the little line all over the screen and stuff. Um, but what they did is they printed out like, plastic films with different like like a racetrack on it or like a haunted house on it and you'd stick them over your TV and then you'd like run the little line around a maze or whatever and that was what a video game was in the 1970s like that primitive and that's kind of what this feels like like in lieu of being able to watch something on the telly you'd be like you get little Jimmy would sit in front of the wireless with his little counter and then move it from like you, you know, Neville fuck Wellington has lamped the ball from square two all the way to Jiminy Cockthroat in square 13. And that would be, you know, that would be like FIFA in the 1930s or whatever this is. You might be right because let's see what the feedback was from 
the customers. If there's anything but this is insane, what's wrong with you? Then I'm going to be mad. Although the experiment was considered a success, I'm mad. <laughs> there were some critics in the newspapers. Some said the account was disconnected, delivered too yeah, rapidly, <laughs> delivered too rapidly, or that several players were wrongly identified by the commentators. I do that all the time. That doesn't matter. It's summarised as, it was early days. Hmm. Appropriately, the first two goals scored on radio, knocked in from squares seven and eight, went to two of the biggest names in football at the time, England international Charlie Buchan and Ireland international Billy Gillespie for Sheffield United. The game finished one all. Of course, Wardy has noted down where the first squares broadcasted was scored from. That's oh, yeah. the kind of thing that he'd, he'd note down. Oh. Imagine going to a pub quiz hosted by Wardy. Oh, then God, I, would tedious, like copy, I would like a copy of that Radio Times just mm. put in a frame and laugh at. I'm just trying <laughs> to think. With, so, going on what we know, seven and eight must have been on opposite sides of the pitch because one's odd and one's even. Yeah, the highest numbers were five to eight. So the opposite half was five and six were just past halfway. And then seven and eight were in the oh, final quarter of the field. So just near the healthy area then, I suppose. So they may well have just both been tap-ins, but they also may have been... This is the, the other problem with it. Because the squares are such a big area, it might have been like a 20-yard screamer. Or it could have been from one yard out. I guess the other man who wasn't just shouting numbers could probably elaborate a bit more on it if he wanted to. But soccer, soccer broadcasting expanded rapidly. 10 million people, it was estimated, listened to the regular BBC broadcast of Arsenal director George Allison and Derek Uncle Mac McCulloch, who was the square caller. So it did carry on. And three months after the Highbury game, the FA Cup oh, final was broadcast. Soccer was on its way to a new era. Local celebrities would become national heroes. Ordinary supporters, accustomed to reading about their team and chatting to one another, would suddenly discover how a player's name sounded with a BBC accent. What? BBC accent is um, a very uh, sort of posh... Uh, Neutral English accent that the yeah, very used to insist on its its uh, presenters having sort of plummy home counties way, isn't it? Yeah. That's it, RP. Oh God, forget that. Blind people would have their interest in soccer resurrected, and commentators learned the power of information. <laughs> we, we did not know about the power of information before. Now <laughs> we were fools. And now I, Jeffrey Squarecaller, I'm, I'm ruling the world. I am absolutely dripping in women. <laughs> they love an accurately called square. Uh, don't we all? Passes a different country. Definitely. Peak football? No. Good, I think. Peak. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's still a bit naff, but for 
a different reason than the other stories are usually a bit naff. I thought it was a good dip into the history of football. Yeah. And it was definitely a strange story. And for Wardy, there was a surprising amount of detail. I think you're right. He got the detail spot on with that. The fact that he knew about square seven and eight being the goals is different level. I wonder how much I paid for this book. <laughs> <laughs> it says nine ninety nine on here. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We've made it out of World War One, And I think this last era of football has definitely been the strongest so far. Yeah, relatively speaking. Relatively speaking, up until now, we had decided that the best story we'd come across was way, 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 way back in 1892. And it was the trusted goalkeeper. And we've, we've spoke about it enough. Obviously, Baldy Reynolds was a, a favourite character of that story. There was a pub getting smashed up. The guy fled the county and ended up in Manchester playing yeah, the I season do, later. Do really like that one. It was really, really good. So I guess now the question is, has anything topped that yet? One-armed men versus women was probably not a contender. It was just something to do, bored after the war. Or was it even during the war, I think? It wasn't it because the men had come back from wherever they'd been and there was no competitive football games or something? I can't remember. They were just like, oh, right out chaps, we'll play these fillies. We'll beat them with, a, with our arms tied behind their backs and then proceeded to get smashed by like professional female players who had been practising the whole war. That's a good summary of it. It definitely wasn't peak. Soccer and gas masks, which of course was just a training exercise to get people used to quickly having to tie their gas masks on. Do you know what? I was going to say that I really enjoyed that one, but now it has sort of a kernel of usefulness and resourcefulness, I suppose. I'm kind of less interested. There, There was the good funny bit about the fact that one of like the major war heroes who had been doing this. He'd fought in the war, probably killed hundreds of people, and then came back and had an injury that ended his career on his first game back. We then went on to what I think, I think is a contender to be the best football story we've had so far, which was Wilfred Minter and his goal-scoring feat. It, it had it all. He was good. Just, just mm. a real cool guy. It had it all. 
the guy scored seven goals and still wasn't on the winning team. He got chinned in the box during injury time because it had gone dark. The ref didn't give a pen. There was a last-minute winner for, I think it was Dulwich. I think that one did have it all. Characters, humour, and there was lots of intrigue as well. And we then had the, with the uh, with the corner goal, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, from the first game, yeah, yeah. Mm. It really was a strong moment in time, in my opinion. We had experimenting with the rules, which was... They changed the offside rule, didn't they? That was it. What I liked about that one is that they were just like, right, you've all been knocked out of the cup. We're just going to, like, fuck around with the rules to the next few games. Because you'll yeah. get away with that now. You'd have um, uh, Jurgen Klopp going, eh, what is this? I am... My players have to play games and they get uh, they get very tired. And it, it definitely wouldn't fly now, would it? How did they... I can't actually remember. How did they introduce VAR? Was that, like, uh, over time in random matches or...? A bunch of mole people um, <laughs> all gathered underground and hatched the plan to just slightly annoy everyone that watches the Premier League. And then one of the mole people killed um, Sir John uh, F.A. and and cut off his skin and went in and was like, Hello, I am Mr. John F.A. Hello, colleagues. I've got a brilliant new idea to save refereeing, you see. And then that's how they got it. And then everyone was I think, that, I think that's right, yeah. Um, but the, by that time, it was already in, and the mole guy had actually moved into Sir John F.A.'s house, and his wife and children didn't notice the difference. So they just got over that. They like they like they watched him for years, and they perfected his mannerisms. Isn't that the plot They're of Face Off? So, isn't that the plot of Face Off? It's similar to the plot of Face Off. <laughs> Probably where he got his idea. Yeah. They watch that as well. <laughs> Weirdest bit about that is that his wife and kids don't realise it's it's actually John Travolta in their husband's body. It's yeah, not John Travolta, it's a mole person. Oh, sorry, yeah, the mole person. The mole person in John Travolta's body. Please, please try and listen, Dax. <laughs> I, I really can't remember this film. I, I'm start, now that you've mentioned it, I can remember the VAR thing now. But... Yeah. The I mean, film, not so much. You, you don't hear about it in the mainstream media, but I, I read this word for word on um, on Prison Paul's website. <laughs> we then had Strikers versus Police, which was exactly what it said on the tin, wasn't it? I don't think there was any intrigue or any hilariousness there. Listening back mm-hmm. to that story, I, I did enjoy the tram no, the marching band getting in the way of the tram. That was good. I wish you'd have made more at the time. I didn't notice it at the time. But um, yeah, I'm just, mm-hmm. I like that image of them having this big conga down the street playing their instruments. It, yeah, it kind of had its it had its charm. It had its moments, but it, it wasn't peak football. Neither was amateurs versus professionals. Although I was a fan of that story, purely just because it included Wilf Minter with another couple of goals. W- w- Wilf the Milf brings it back around, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Happy Mother's Day again, folks. And then 
the last story of the 1920s, which we just covered, which was the eight square game. We don't think that was peak football. So I guess really my my question for you guys is, does anything top Wilfred Minter and his goal-scoring feat from this era? Uh, I would like to honour Wilfred Minter by Perfect. saying he had the thing of the decade. Perfect. Does yeah, that second. story does that story beat going back all the way to the 1800s? Does it beat the trusted goalkeeper? Can't. What was the trusted goalkeeper again? That was the one way, basically, through the FA Cup final. And in the run-up to the FA Cup final, he'd, the goalkeeper had been out bathing in brine for a bit <laughs> over in Droitwich. <laughs> and then he got his pub smashed up. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to vote Minter. I am as well. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was going to say trusted goalkeeper still, still, uh, still top, but I've been outvoted. And the cheeky girls who are obviously here, as always, also voted for Minter as well. We have Stan. <laughs> so a resounding four to one vote. Wilfred Minter currently takes the hot spot on the search for peak football. Good, good stuff. Nice. Very, very good stuff. I did find out some more information about that Arsenal and Sheffield United game. And I did remember it correctly, if you're interested. So, I will read verbatim of the website goal.com. Not all of it, though, because it's really boring. and They're obviously working to a word count, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Anyway, United, Sheffield United keeper Alan Kelly had kicked the ball out of play, blah, 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 so that someone could receive treatment by the physio. Great. Then there's a quote from David Holdsworth, and it says, there was no doubt about it. We thought we were going to get the ball back. Blah, blah, blah. The ball was in the hands of Ray Parler, and when the referee signaled for the game to restart, the midfielder did throw it back towards the visitors, Republic of Ireland international goalkeeper. I told you about the World Cup. The only problem was, in one quote, Carnu, great name, just 10 minutes into his Arsenal debut, in one quote, yeah. <laughs> wasn't wasn't on the same wavelength as his new teammates. Long story short, he passed the ball to someone else and they scored while all the Sheffield United players were stood around going, what are you doing? Anyway, so the manager of Sheffield United at the time was a certain Neil Warnock. Hey. So, you know, yeah, exactly. So it, No, it wasn't. It was a Steve Bruce. Sorry, I'm reading two stories hey. at once. It was Very a certain Steve Bruce. Absolutely. Complained. Pulled his team. No, I can't yeah. not saying that. He um made his team leave the pitch and took them back to the changing room for eight minutes. <laughs> and pulled his team off. Pulled his team pull, off sorry. Did he pull off and wank <laughs> Long and boring story short, they um the FA let them replay the match, and ten days later they went to Highbury and Arsenal still won anyway. Over Mars and Dennis Bergkamp scored, and that was that. So they they sort of sulked and picked their heels, dug their heels in a bit, and had to get to, got to play the game again. There we go. That's it's not a bad story actually. Like the bit well, where he said in Wankwo. Yeah, that was good, and got the manager's name wrong. Um, well, that was 1999, so I don't know what the book goes up to because if that if it goes that far, and we can still be bothered by that point, that'll definitely be in there. 
I'm just going to have a look through, and obviously I'm coming across some titles as I go. So it was after Football for Pigs. <laughs> oh, there's one that goes to Estonia. Ah, oh, how annoying. We've done Estonia in our search to tell an interesting story from every country in the world. Could I just use that? Oh, there's one in Clevedon. Come mm. on. Is there a story in the book from Clevedon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's called As You Were, Lads. So no idea what that's about. Surprising. No, it's not no. in there. So there is no, no mention of Nguanquo Kanu that we know of in this book. <laughs> Unless he features in a different story. It probably isn't pronounced like that, but, you know, I'm uncultured. Baxter, I believe it's your turn to finish on a... Always hilarious dad joke. Absolutely. I told my mum I got a new job at a bowling alley. She said, oh, temping. I said, no permanence. Podcast Network.